Today is Friday, March 11th, 2022, and I'm Josh Rollerson with Pennsylvania Legacies, the podcast from the Pennsylvania Environmental Council. Last summer, the Fairmount Waterworks in Philadelphia was all set to launch its first much-anticipated multimedia arts exhibition. It was to be held in the facility's historic Kelly Pool, a haven for black Philadelphians learning to swim during a time of racially segregated public pools. Visitors were invited to explore how water has shaped the city's history, with a special focus on its role in the lives of African Americans. The exhibition, titled Pool, was to have opened on September 3, 2021. But Hurricane Ida had other plans. Just ahead of the scheduled opening, the Schuylkill River rose to historic levels, inundating the exhibition space and forcing the event's cancellation. That might have been the end of the story. But in this case, organizers saw a chance to make the flooding part of it. We really see this as an opportunity to reinforce, you know, that the river is powerful, the river is there, <laughs> you know, it's kind of a beautiful disaster. I think that's a good way to describe it. Pool is now set to reopen March 22nd, which is World Water Day, with a new emphasis on environmental justice and resiliency in the face of climate change. We'll get a preview just ahead on this episode. First, a look at the last week's news in the environmental energy conservation and outdoor recreation world from PEC's Lily Jones. Last week, the State Senate Appropriations Committee held the budget hearing for the Department of Conservation and Natural Resources. Governor Wolf's proposed budget includes an increase in funding for DCNR, which currently has a $1.4 billion backlog of safety and maintenance projects. The proposed budget also focused on responding to increased participation in outdoor recreation throughout the state, increasing climate resiliency, and expanding DCNR's operational capacity. DCNR Secretary Cindy Dunn said building state park infrastructure that will hold up against increasingly severe weather is worth the investment. It'll pay back to uh, Pennsylvania's you know, gross domestic product. But you know, more than that, you know, it's quality of life for Pennsylvanians. This kind of defines us as, uh, as people. We're an outdoor state. Governor Wolf has also proposed creating a Growing Greener 3 using American Rescue Plan funds, which, among other projects, would help DCNR address its maintenance backlog. A new poll of Pennsylvanians found strong bipartisan support for solar energy. The survey was conducted by Embold Research for Vote Solar. 81% of survey participants supported rooftop solar, a higher percentage than supported coal, nuclear energy, and natural gas. 65% of participants indicated they would like Pennsylvania to produce more solar electricity, and the same percentage wanted their community or region to produce more solar electricity. Several existing proposals aim to increase solar energy production in Pennsylvania. Last year, legislation was introduced that would update Pennsylvania's alternative energy portfolio standard. Another bill would authorize community solar, making it possible for Pennsylvanians to source solar electricity directly from local suppliers. The Delaware Canal State Park towpath has been named the 2022 Trail of the Year by DCNR. The Friends of the Delaware Canal, a group that does maintenance and fundraising for the trail, will receive the award. The towpath passes through Bucks and Northampton counties and is part of the Delaware and Lehigh National Heritage Corridor. The Trail of the Year is chosen annually by the Pennsylvania Trails Advisory Committee to help raise awareness and support for Pennsylvania's extensive network of trails. But what I saw were swimmers being taken out of their communities. Someone would discover a great African-American swimmer, and next thing you know, they were recruited to end up swimming in the suburbs. And so they weren't role models in their own community. People really didn't even know anything about them unless somebody actually followed them and their success. 
So that was one of the reasons I said, I want to have a program that could take you from learn to swim to being a world-class athlete. You won't have to leave your neighborhood to go somewhere else if this is your desire, your objective and goal, we will provide it for you. That's the voice of Coach Jim Ellis, who founded Philadelphia's all-black PDR swim team back in 1971. His story is told in the 2007 Terrence Howard film Pride, as well as in Pool, a social history of segregation, opening at Fairmount Waterworks later this month. We just heard an excerpt from one of the videos featured in that exhibition created by Victoria Pritzia, which looks at the intersection of water, public space, and racial equity. You can add climate change to that list, courtesy of Hurricane Ida, which scuttled the original planned opening in September 2021. And with the long-awaited reopening of the exhibition now just a couple of weeks away, we're happy to welcome Dion Watts-Williams. She's communications manager for Fairmount Waterworks and joins us today on Pennsylvania Legacies. Dion, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much, Josh. It's great to be here. Can we begin with some background on Fairmount Waterworks, its history, because it's a long one, uh, the role of this facility in the life of the city then and now, all the way up to its current incarnation as an environmental education center? Okay. Well, it's a historic uh, landmark, a national engineering landmark. And it was in the 1800s when, you know, water really started flowing through the waterworks from the Schuylkill River and providing, you know, safe, clean water to businesses, residents in in Philadelphia. Um, So, you know, in its heyday, (laughs) I think in the beginnings, it was really like a sight to see. It was a national, you know, um, tourist attraction, if you will, and really just ahead of its time to create something that is functional and nice to look at, right? Something that really provided an essential need um, to the city and was just really a marvel, you know, everything from the water wheels to the turbines. So the, the site itself is full of history. Over the years, the waterworks once housed um, an aquarium, which a lot of people don't know about. Um, that's a rich part of our history, as well as where the uh, Kelly Pool currently sits. You know, that served as a site for many youth, school district of Philadelphia students to come and, and learn that essential skill. Uh, the Interpretive Center itself opened in 2003 to really educate the public about basically how everything that we do on land affects our our waterways and how we should, you know, be a little more mindful or intentional about what we do or don't do, basically. So you you mentioned the Kelly Pool, which is obviously the focal point for this exhibition. Uh, Tell me a bit more about that facility. When was it in operation as a swimming pool? What made it an important site in Philadelphia's history, specifically in the context of, of segregation? Right. So Kelly Pool operated um, in the late 50s, early 60s, I believe, maybe 1962, when, you know, a hurricane similar to our recent history pretty much decimated um, the space. But really, it was a place for, you know, inner city kids, mainly, you know, school district of Philadelphia students to come, you know, like I said, and learn this essential skill and really enjoy you know, the art of swimming. And so we also have a a lot of cool photos, you know, showing how that space was used. And, you know, unfortunately, for a good amount of years between 
that hurricane and opening of the interpretive center, the site was really dormant. You know, I think a lot of people can recognize the waterworks in terms of its, you know, architecture, which of course is always nice to look at. It's gorgeous. Um, but few people really understand the significance of that pool space, especially in a city like Philadelphia. You know, once in a while we would have visitors come and, you know, I recall some visitors saying how their parents or grandparents would talk about swimming in a pool, but no one really, it's almost like urban legend, like some people didn't really believe that it existed. But yeah, it really was a significant piece of, you know, Philadelphia history. You know, when you think about the role that public pools play, Today, you know, for a lot of people who don't have access or just needing a place to enjoy recreation. So it really represents a level of, you know, access and equity for people in this, the city of Philadelphia. And at that time, I'm guessing there wouldn't have been many options for African-American kids to get in the water. And that's like this would have been one of a very small number of facilities open to them. Right, right. So I know Philadelphia, you know, we, we know that the city has a good amount of, you know, rec centers and public pools, but for a lot of people who, for whatever reason, couldn't access them, whether it was distance or, you know, really wanted that instruction, you know, the pool was was the place to gather. Um, and that was for all, all people, <laughs> you know, not just for one um, community, which is really important to note. Maybe looking beyond the waterworks a little bit and, and Philadelphia mm -hmm. in general, other big cities like Philadelphia, you know, what can we learn about this history of, of racial inequity, racial tension and conflict uh, in, in these spaces by looking specifically at public pools? Because that's that, I mean, that's the focus of the exhibition. What's what's the proposition here? Right. So, you know, the conversation, you know, when you think of swimming, there are a lot of um, schools of thought around for whatever reason, why specifically the African-American community may or may not know how to swim. You know, one of the things that I really love about this exhibit is that it really dispels certain myths that Black people in, in particular just never took to swimming, which is really, you know, so far from the truth. The fact is, you know, in Africa, like that's where you would find the world's best swimmers, divers. And we have, you know, a lot of documentation around that in the exhibit. And it really show it really tells that story in a in a cool way. Um, the second thing is that, you know, we want to, through this exhibit, really address those um, disparities, right? We know that swimming is a life-saving skill. <laughs> so, um, you know, for instance, in Pennsylvania, you know, Black children are 50% uh, more likely to drown than their white counterparts. So, you know, we've really been um, the exhibit's uh, founder or creator, Victoria Prizia. She did, did an awesome, awesome job and the whole team connecting with, you know, swimming champions. You think about Cullen Jones, um, Simone Manuel, um, local heroes like Jim Ellis, you know, who've really worked and still work to, to close that gap. So, so pool is the perfect, you know, intersection of the storytelling, you know, um, addressing those myths and also helping to close the disparities going, going forward. It's fascinating. On the one hand, you have, as you say, these really important contributions made by Black Philadelphians to the sport of mm -hmm. swimming. At the same time, these really stark inequities, you know, in water safety. And I think it's fascinating that, to, you know, to look at a swimming pool as a way of getting at the subject because of the way in which access to recreational resources in, in and around the water is connected with safety. 
Right, right. I think that really it's about making information, not just making it known, but making recreation, whatever that looks like, available. So, you know, we're really working and you think about, you know, access to pools going back to the days of, you know, bathhouses, right? That was really about, you know, certain classes, you know, having access to it. Um, and then, you know, fast forward to the days of, you know, segregation and the civil rights movement, certain communities were just cut off. I mean, there were eff efforts, you know, over the years to bridge that gap. When you think about um, in New York City, I think it was the Swimmobile, the city would bring a mobile pool, you know, to, to the neighborhoods. Um, so really, it's about being more cognizant of the fact that not all communities are readily able to access and it's, you know, race, different, you know, levels of ability, like so access on all levels for all types of, of people. That's really key. So over the years, Fairmount Waterworks has been a, a lot of things, obviously, you named some of them. Um, <laughs> I didn't hear art yeah. museum in there, though. Uh, this is this is kind of a new thing for you. All right. <laughs> Can you talk about how the idea for this exhibition came about? What was the vision and how did it sort of come together? Well, the great thing about the Interpretive Center is we have done a really good job over the years of using the space to tell the story specifically through art. So um, we have in the past had, you know, several installations in the um, Interpretive Center itself. But the great thing about Poole is there's always been specifically with, with Kelly Poole, an interest in holding an event there. <laughs> you know, we, we were getting inquiries. Our executive director, um, Karen Young, this was prior my time, my tenure, but there was even an opera held in the pool, right? So we really try to find, right, right, like creative ways where people can not just come and look at the space, but really be submerged in a more um, full experience, right? Kind of like a 360 sensory <laughs> type of approach. You know, when I think about the pool event, there were chairs placed actually in the pool lanes and just just being really creative. And so in terms of the origin of it, you know, our executive director and, and Victoria Prizia um, of Habitique, they really put their heads together to say, how can we effectively use this space to continue the work that the WordWorks has been doing through the arts, whether it was you know, you know, music or dance or, you know, any type of way to interpret the story in history. Um, so that was actually the origin of it. So 2019, we actually received the grant from the Pew Center for Arts and Heritage. So that was really like our jumpstart to set things in motion for the project. So fast forward to 2022, here we are. And um, yeah, we can't wait to, to open. Actually, the, the opening is on World Border Day, which is totally appropriate. <laughs> Indeed. So. Well, okay. So well, tell me about the installation itself without spoiling too much, I guess. So what will visitors experience when they walk in to you personally? Are, are there any favorite pieces or particularly interesting features for you? Mm -hmm. So in terms of the, the physical space, it's about 4,700 square feet. Um, the great thing for me about the exhibition is that it's not just you know, artwork on the walls, right? You have, you know, posters, you have, you could tell that the, the design team was very intentional, right? Just by nature of the space where water is, you know, from time to time going to come into the building, there was really thought put behind the materials, 
right? So when you look at, say, the panels with the, the high quality images and the, the visuals, um, they're on a type of um, acrylic that's suspended, right? So this way, it'll kind of withstand the, the elements. Um, and of course, easy to maintain. Um, even the video and audio elements are higher up. <laughs> you know, we're really thinking about going forward, like how, what are some ways that we can still preserve um, the exhibit? I have a few different favorites. I don't know. Wow. So I think the featured voices um, feature is probably my favorite installation just because you're hearing firsthand from, you know, Jim Ellis, Simone Manuel, um, Colin Jones about their, how they got their start um, and, and, and swimming. And really just hearing those stories makes it even more, you know, it's one thing to see something in writing, but to hear the voices from people who are doing the work and who are working to close the, the gap, that was very, you know, meaningful for me, especially for, for me being from Philadelphia. Um, you know, Coach Ellis, I don't know if he even remembers, but he was my swim coach many, many years ago and my high school teacher. So I, I did feel a sense of pride in that they're everyday people, <laughs> right, who are really making an impact. Um, so for me, the Featured Voices um, exhibit is one of my favorites. There's also a lot of, you know, you'll see a timeline along the, the long wall of the, of the space closer to the river, I guess on the riverside. And there you'll see a timeline of just, you know, different instances throughout history, specifically during, you know, the height of the civil um, rights movement, where, you know, they're not so pretty images, some of them, right? Because we know that those were pretty tough times, but really to give context and show that it's not just about the water, right? It is about the water, right? Everyone should have clean, access to clean um, water, access to water, but also how our society has come a long way from, you know, basically excluding certain communities to now, you know, where we have people who represent all communities really, you know, taking the lead in the, in the swimming industry and, and really empowering little boys and girls, <laughs> right, to not be afraid of the water and to really embrace it as a life skill and, and something to enjoy. Well, as you said, it is it is so many things all kind of in this one package. And I'm fascinated by how this site and this use of the space ties together so many strands of history, you know, local history, national history, and connects them with the present day in, this, in a way that feels really urgent and really Mm -hmm. relevant and of the moment. And I think of that that Faulkner quote about how the past is never dead, it isn't even past. And, you know, the history that we're living through right now is very much overshadowed by climate change. And that's something that almost like on, on some level, I wonder if you would have planned it this way if you could, but like climate change becomes part of this exhibit, right? And sort of unexpectedly, right? But talk Literally. about- <laughs> Yeah. Tell that story. How did Hurricane Ida impact both the waterworks and, you know, how has the exhibition kind of evolved as a result? Wow. I say God bless our executive director. I think most people and our staff, our staff, our, our you know, the um, exhibition team, this is actually the first time I've ex witnessed a flood there during my time. But this has been just something um, when it comes to the Interpretive Center that we have just become prepared for. Like I said, we're very 
um, outside of pool, we're very intentional um, about the exhibits, <laughs> right? Some are higher up, some are on wheels, um, easily, you know, removable so that we can kind of, you know, move things, as many things as possible to safety. And it's part of the storytelling. So while it can be um, a bit of a headache, <laughs> right? There's a lot of cleanup efforts involved. There's a lot of, you know, starting over over the years, but we really see this as an opportunity to reinforce you know, that the river is powerful, the river is there, <laughs> you know, it's kind of a beautiful disaster if you kind of, I think that's kind of a good way to describe it. Like to see if you remember the, the, the river levels, you know, when Ida happened was just amazing. Boathouse Row, you know, our, our neighbors there, the waterworks, you really couldn't even, you couldn't walk down the stairs. I mean, it was a record-breaking event. Um, but again, that's what the building was meant to do. So we've learned to be, you know, resilient. <laughs> we've learned to just try to be as prepared as possible. Now, as it pertains to the pool exhibition, I don't think anyone would have imagined that this would happen on the date of our opening. It was September 1st. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. The day of. Right, right. The day of the opening. And so we were trying to get, you know, last minute messaging out emails, responding to phone calls. We did have some guests on site and we did a very, you know, we did an abbreviated program just because of course safety is first. Um, and you'll see, you'll see some photos. I'm not sure there might be some photos on our website or our social media of the, um, the initial opening, but it, we had to kind of wrap it up sooner because we wanted to salvage, you know, the installations both in the interpreter center and in the pool um, exhibit. So it was a very, challenging day but also our guests were so amazing because everyone understands that we're right at the river's edge so that was very um you know great to see you know everyone just rolling around us even after the the flood so um there are a few parts right now that we're working to to fix in time for the opening but i think considering how much damage uh ida has done just in general to different facilities, um, it's it's we'll we'll be very close to, you know, where we were. So we're really excited about that. Well, and so yeah, now now the stage is set for the reopening with this extra layer of kind of meaning <laughs> to it. It seems like, yeah. And you mentioned World Water Day, right? Tell me about that event. Why you chose that for the reopening, and you know what else? What else do you have planned for World Water Day? Right. Well, World, World Water Day is really about. Um, I believe it's a United Nations observance, really about acknowledging the impacts of water and also how important it is to, again, make sure that everyone has equal access to it, right? Whether it's fresh water, groundwater, um, it really is a lot. There's a lot of messaging on that day about, you know, things you can do to preserve um, our waterways, how to make it's safer for all communities. And for us, it was just a natural, it just made sense, you know? So we said, you know, this is something that we celebrate anyway. So what better day to celebrate pool, which is also having, you know, safe, equal access is part of that messaging as well. What better way to celebrate World Water Day with the opening of pool? So really excited about that. Well, you know, they, they say water is the universal solvent, right? Can water 
dissolve social barriers to can awareness of this shared resource that's so vital to all of us across communities, across racial, ethnic lines, you name it. Can that be a basis for for sort of more solidarity and social cohesion within and among our communities? Wow, that's such a good question. Um, I, I feel like it's a good converse, not conversation started. That's that's minimizing the the importance of it, but I think it needs to be part of the conversation. I think a lot of times we tend to, when it comes to social inequities, we tend to compartmentalize, you know, things. But border issue is a social justice issue. Um, it's definitely something that I think a lot of us. I know I've taken it for granted, um, and so drawing attention to this and really identifying those specific instances in our history um, where it wasn't available to all. That's the the catapult, right? That's the thing that's going to catapult the conversation, I think. So yes, it is definitely important to include that in the, the conversation around social injustice. So any other important details about the event that we should know, uh, you know, ticketing, how long is it open and that, and that sort of thing? Well, pool is free and open to the public. We are accepting donations. So if anyone wants to donate, they can go to poolphl.com. Um, of course, there are lots of lots of information about the exhibits, um, but in terms of opening, so World Water Day is on a Tuesday. That's, the, uh, yes, March 22nd. And it'll be open from 12 p.m. to 5 p.m. In terms of the months, we've gotten questions around that. So the exhibit will be open from March to September of this year and next year. And so, you know, donations will help keep certain things running. It'll help keep, of course, um, admission free. And yeah, we encourage people to just come and really experience it for themselves, even if they've seen the website, which is totally amazing. Like, I think a lot of people have gotten a good grasp of it, but to be in that historic space, really listening, taking in the the sights, the sound, the feeling of, you know, the, the pool space is just really amazing. You can't describe it. <laughs> well, and I, I think this is really going to be interesting to people well beyond Philadelphia. So it's great that a, there is this virtual component, digital component that mm -hmm. people can access, but even better that there's going to be more time for people to come to Philadelphia and see it for themselves. Yes, yes. And, you know, we have had our share of international visitors or visitors from around the country. So um, we're really excited to welcome people back to the space. It's, you know, with the pandemic, things have been crazy. And then, like, who would have thought a pandemic and a flood, you know, would have changed would have changed everything for us, but we're really being innovative, you know, even on the programming side, the Word of Works has done, our team has done an amazing job of continuing, you know, virtual programming or even, you know, offsite programming. So we're really just excited to have this as another way to, you know, have people come and experience the, the Word of Works. Well, congratulations, best of luck with the opening. And again, thank you so much for taking some time today. It was great talking with you. Thank you so much, Josh. I really appreciate it. Dion Watts-Williams is communications manager for Fairmount Waterworks, where you can experience Pool, a social history of segregation, opening March 22nd, World Water Day at Fairmount Waterworks in Philadelphia. Find more information on the opening and some of those online materials we talked about 
Links are in the episode description for this podcast on the PEC website, PECPA.org. You can listen to all of our past podcast episodes there or however you prefer to uh, listen to podcasts. Take us with us on your Apple Podcasts app, Spotify, SoundCloud, Player.fm, and most places where podcasts are available. Wherever you find us, thanks so much for your rating and review to help other audiences discover the show. Love to hear from you at the Pennsylvania Environmental Council via any number of channels we have available. We're on social media at uh, Facebook, on Twitter at PECPA. We're on Instagram and LinkedIn too. And our website is, again, PECPA.org. Pennsylvania Legacies is released every other week. They come out on Fridays and I hope you'll join us for the next one in two weeks time. Until then, for the Pennsylvania Environmental Council, I'm Josh Rollerson. Thanks for listening. <music>